stuff. We need to be reminded, don't we? I know sometimes people that don't understand a relationship with God or coming to church, you know, it's, it's, I need it. I need to be encouraged. I need to be reminded. I don't know about y'all because there's a lot of stuff in the world that's telling us otherwise, that God's not great, that He's not real, and we need to be reminded. I'm very thankful for that. Thank y'all. Well, back last year in February in 2020, um, Garth Brooks was uh, doing concerts. Everybody know who Garth Brooks is, right? And he was in uh, Detroit, Michigan, and he thought, since I'm in Detroit, Michigan, I will wear a football jersey of a famous Detroit Lion football player, Barry Sanders, who, in my opinion, was probably the greatest running back of all time. So he got up to go out on stage with this Barry Sanders football jersey. And right before he went out backstage, uh, somebody on his tour or whatever took a photo of him that went out on Instagram. And all you saw on the back of the jersey was Sanders 2-0. That's his number. What's the big deal? Well, unfortunately, because of Instagram and the way our culture is, we only take a snippet of something even if we don't know and we go through with it. Somebody said this, good grief, can't you just do what you get paid to do? Why, why does it always involve politics? So sad. We don't pay good money for anything other than to watch you perform. I thought you were different. This person thought that he was for Bernie Sanders for 2020 because he was wearing that jersey. Now, a lot of Garth Brooks fan helped this not-so-educated person to understand what he was wearing and uh, let him know that, probably not in very nice terms either. But then some Bernie Sanders people got on the and says, hey, looks like Garth Brooks just became my favorite country singer. And uh, even Barry Sanders himself heard about it and uh, sent something to Garth Brooks saying, hey, Garth, you want to be my vice president in 2020? We can run together. <laughs> now, these things happen in our culture because we are this just bite culture, whether it's a sound bite or a video bite. We just hear a little bit, and then we're ready to tell everybody what happened or maybe what didn't happen. And it just goes on and on, and there's some misunderstanding sometimes. And that was certainly a misunderstanding. But last week we listened and Jesus taught about worry. And in very simple terms on the subject, he said about worry, don't. Don't worry. If we're truly going to be people who follow Jesus, if we're truly going to be his followers, then we must learn, as Jesus said, to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And it's not just something we say, but it's something we actually try to conform to in every aspect of our life. Every aspect of our life. What does Jesus' kingdom say about this? What would his righteousness look like in this part of my life? And it starts with how we think about, in the most simple terms, as Jesus talked about last week, it talked about what are we going to eat today? How is this? How does God think about that in his kingdom, in his righteousness? What are we going to wear today? And Jesus reminded them there's pagans, and that just means anybody who was not a believer in God. They run all over the place worrying about what are they going to eat or what are they going to drink. And Jesus said something real, took something very simply from, from life, birds of the air and lilies of the field. And he said, look at these. They don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. God takes care of them, and you are much more valuable than those things. So 
relax. God values you and he's going to take care of your basic needs in your life. Well, our text today involves some misunderstanding as well. There wasn't Instagram then, obviously. But John the Baptist, and many of y'all probably know who John the Baptist is. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He had declared one day when he saw Jesus for the first time, he knew that Jesus was coming, but Jesus came down to be baptized by John. And John said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then John baptized Jesus. And John remembered this. He knew this. How could you forget it after he baptized me? He even asked Jesus, because why, why am I baptizing you? You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, this is to fulfill all righteousness. See, Jesus understood he was laser being focused on God's kingdom and God's righteousness. So he asked John to baptize him. And then after he came up out of the water, the gospels tell us that a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased with him. And John heard that and could not forget that. So John was understandably a little confused, as we're going to see in our text today, about Jesus and his purpose and his mission and what he was doing. Because John, at this particular time in the text we're going to read today, got thrown into prison by Herod. Because he basically called Herod out by his lifestyle and what he was doing. And particularly, he says, the woman you're with right now is not even your wife. It's your brother's wife. Shouldn't be doing that. That's immoral. That's wrong. He didn't like it, so he threw him into jail. Then John heard about the healings, the teaching, the miracles of Jesus. And so his obvious question is, why wasn't Jesus doing something about the injustice that I'm in? encountering right now this injustice of my arrest and this imprisonment Jesus don't you know about it if you are the Messiah why don't you get busy doing something about setting up God's kingdom right now and start by taking care of the bad people that put me into prison and we don't know that John was really thinking that but you know he must have been and the reason we know this is from our text today so we're going to read from Luke's gospel and we're going to look at chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. And I know it's kind of a long uh, text, but follow along with what's happening. John's in prison, and he sends a couple of his disciples to ask Jesus what's going on. And Luke puts it this way. John's disciples told him, John the Baptist, about all these things they'd heard about. And then calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And at the very time Jesus cured many who, were, who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? 
A prophet? Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected, listen to this, rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So we're going to kind of unpack this a little bit. John has this question that he sends a couple of his disciples to ask Jesus, and they come in, there's a couple of them, because John still follows the law of Moses. When you want to establish something about something that's going on, you send two or three witnesses need to be there in order to to hear this and know this. So, of course, they ask Jesus the question, are you the one that's to come? I mean, we know you are, but something doesn't seem right. John's still in prison, and you don't seem to be doing anything about it, Jesus. It happened, but he's still there. And so Jesus replies, what have you seen? What have you heard? And they say, well, obviously we've seen people being healed. And Jesus says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Jesus has actually raised somebody from the dead recently. And surely John's disciples and John has heard about this in prison. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. And as great as those things may have been, as great as it was to know that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies of old, John was probably hoping to hear something about and release the prisoners from the prison. Or maybe Jesus taking over Herod's throne so he could be released. But Jesus doesn't mention anything about that. But then Jesus asked, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Seems like Jesus is trying to encourage John even in his difficult situation, but is that really encouraging when don't, don't stumble on account of me when I'm in prison? So they leave to share Jesus' answer with John and probably a bit confused. And notice that Jesus says to the crowd, who was obviously around when these two guys come up to Jesus, so they heard this interaction between Jesus and John's followers. They hear all this and then Jesus goes on to praise John. He even asks him, he goes, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? And he's asking these people because probably a lot of these people had gone out into the wilderness to hear this preacher, John the Baptist, and what was he all about? And many of them were convicted and were baptized. And so they hold John in high esteem. He's a prophet of God. He baptized me. He brought something into my life I needed to know. And so Jesus went on to praise him. He says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Well, surely not. You know, those kind of people are in palaces, Jesus says. So what did you go out to see? A prophet? And Jesus says, yes, I tell you more than a prophet. 
And he says, he was the one that was sent before me. So these people hold John in very high esteem. And they're understanding that, yes, Jesus, we understand that. And we know that you know who John is. But it seems as if Jesus is making clear to the crowd that he's very aware of John and and what his purpose was. John had a key role, as Jesus did, in ushering in this kingdom of God that Jesus has been talking about. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus knew that many in the crowd were probably, like I said, even baptized by John. So Jesus asked them some questions about, why did you initially go out to see John? Were you just curious? Were you just going to see some reeds in the wind? Of course not. You were looking for a prophet. Why were you looking for a prophet? Because you looked around you, you looked at your culture, and you said, something's not right. Why is this world, why is our culture the way it is? We're God's chosen people, yet we're under the thumb of Rome in this oppressive government. Why is it like this? And we hear the Messiah has come. John's talked about preparing the way for the Messiah. You're supposed to be the Messiah, Jesus, so... We're looking for that. We were looking for Jesus. And then John convicted us to repent. There were some things in our lives we needed to repent of. So Jesus makes clear that he knew John's role and that no one was greater than John. He said, no one born of a woman is greater than John. But then Jesus says, as he always does, he throws something in there that makes us go, what? He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Wait a minute, if John is the greatest, how can the least be even greater than John, Jesus? What does that even mean? But apparently it may not have been as confusing to those who were in the audience. You see, they were the common people that seemed to be tracking right along with Jesus in this kingdom of God, where there is a reversal of the way things are. They're hoping for that. They probably felt encouraged considering the way they had been treated by the religious leaders of their day. You're not good enough. You're not ever going to make it. You'll never be able to do all the law like we do because we're religious leaders. I guess you'll just have to tough it out. They always felt like they were never good enough. And here comes Jesus, and Jesus is reversing all that. He's saying, no, as great as John the Baptist was, and there's really nobody greater, the least in God's kingdom is even greater than that. And they're going, what? You mean I can be that great? I'm valued by God? Yes, even as the least. And so all the people, and you notice you read with me, Luke put in parentheses, kind of trying to explain to us what was going on. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. That had been a moment in their life where they said, I need to do something. Yeah, I know the world's not right. I know we're under oppressive government, but you know what? Me as an individual, I have not followed God the way I should have. I'm a Jew. I'm I'm supposed to be following the covenant, and I haven't, and I need to repent. And they were baptized, and John called them to that. But it said the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. John, I don't need your baptism because I'm a religious figure. I don't have any sins. I don't need anything to repent of. So they rejected John, and the people saw this disconnect. We hear what John's saying. It makes sense to us, the religious leaders. Who is this crazy guy? So the religious leaders in the crowd seem to be bothered by this. So Jesus sees an opportunity, as Jesus always did, when someone's kind of going, you talking about me in that little story, Jesus? And Jesus goes, why, yes, I am. 
And then he hammers home the point to make sure they don't miss the point that, yes, I'm talking about you and your relationship with God. So Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? Jesus is getting ready to tell probably his first parable in the Gospels. Now, when we hear parable, we go, oh, those are those those neat stories that Jesus tells that makes us feel all better about ourselves. Well, sometimes. But parables are a earthly story with a heavenly meaning, or a heavenly story with an earthly meaning, right? Well, actually, parable means when you set one thing right next to another to compare them. And we do this all the time, don't we? But Jesus was doing that. So that's what Jesus did. He goes, what can I compare the people of this generation to? As Jesus is teaching and saying these things, he's watching people's reactions. And he's watching furrowed brows and knowing that maybe they're not tracking exactly. But he says, what are they like? And he says, they're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other. Now, some people call this the parable of the brats. Have you ever heard this? Parable of the brats, and you're getting ready to understand why. He says there's kids sitting in the marketplace, and it, it took me a long time. I never, I didn't really know this for a long time. I just was like, I, this was an obscure passage to me. But it says, we played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. When someone plays a tune, you're supposed to dance, get excited. And we sang a dirge, and you didn't, you didn't cry. When it's a time to be respectful and cry, you didn't do that. What is Jesus trying to say about these kids in the marketplace? And he's talking about kids yelling at each other back and forth. You ever listen to your kids in the background sometimes when they're outside playing and they're yelling at each other? Or in their room and they're with their friends or with their siblings and they're screaming and yelling at each other? You It's not fair. I'm supposed to have the ball. That was out. No, it wasn't. Or whatever game you're playing. You didn't do it right. They're arguing. You can hear them. And this is what's going on Jesus is comparing to. Seems as if Jesus was comparing the religious leaders to kids in the marketplace, complaining to one group who will not do what they want them to do. We played a little ditty and you wouldn't dance. We played a sad song and you wouldn't cry. You won't do what we want you to. And again, the religious leaders are going, what are you saying? And Jesus seems to sense among those in the crowd who were from the religious establishment, as Luke had said, They had rejected God's purpose for themselves. We don't need to repent. We are the religious establishment. They had rejected John and his baptism. Who is this crazy guy? And they walked out. They went out to the wilderness when they heard about John was having all these followers. And the religious leaders had to go out there and check it out. He's crazy. He's a man who lives out in the wilderness. He doesn't eat bread. He eats locusts and wild honey. He doesn't drink wine. He called us a brood of vipers when we came out there. How could he be from God? Doesn't he know who we are, the religious establishment? And they had rejected Jesus and his idea of God's kingdom. Here is a glutton a glutton and a drunkard. That's what they called Jesus because he called one of his first disciples named Matthew, who was a tax collector, who they hated, and said, how can you possibly be of God and go to Matthew's house and go to a party, to a dinner with all these unsavory type people, Jesus? You couldn't possibly be the Messiah and do that. And Jesus goes, you just don't get it, do you? I didn't come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. The sick are the ones that need a doctor, and at least these people realize they're sick. You guys don't even get it. You don't realize it. He talks about the greatest and the least being the greatest. That's not how it is in God's kingdom, Jesus. You heal on the Sabbath. You can't be from God. And Jesus left them, left them with this 
realizing that the kingdom he was presenting was completely different than their picture of the kingdom. And so Jesus says this, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. Think about that for a minute. Wisdom is proved right by all her children. Now, when we hear that, we go, man, Jesus told them, didn't he? That was awesome. He made them look like idiots and the self-righteous jerks they were. That's awesome. But wait a minute. Is Jesus talking to me in that parable? Could I be the brat in the marketplace? Or maybe we the brats who get mad at God when God doesn't work things out the way we think they should be. God, do you not see what's going on in our country, in our world? What are you doing? Are you asleep at the wheel? I thought you said you were bringing in this kingdom. Or maybe we a little too convinced that we know how God's kingdom should operate. And right now, he's not doing a very good job. Don't feel bad. Because some of y'all are thinking that. I'm thinking that. Don't feel bad because John the Baptist was thinking that. If you're going to establish your kingdom, why am I in jail? Stop the injustice now. Make heaven on earth right now. Man, I wish that would happen, don't y'all? But it doesn't. There's things that go wrong in our lives, in our country, in the world, and we have to go through these things. And God says, but I'm there. There's something I'm doing. My kingdom is different than the way you think. Yeah, we think we should do the right arm power. Let's call the military in. Let's call a political thing. Let's force people to do what we want them to do because that always has worked through history, hasn't it? When you force people to do things, boy, they love you and it really helps that relationship, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. And Jesus knew that. So I'm quick also to point out all those who need to repent around me. Did you hear what they posted? Do you see what they said? They need to repent. I literally saw a guy I went to seminary with that I haven't talked to in years talking about who needs to repent in a political frame. I'm not going to tell you what side he was on, but I was like, seriously? <laughs> they need to repent. And then I read some of his stuff and I go, maybe you too, brother. <laughs> But God can do something transforming and powerful in our time. But we will miss it because of our own expectations of how we think God is supposed to act. And we don't want to miss it. Y'all don't want to miss it. And I think he's doing something, y'all. And I don't know what it is because it seems like, I don't know what in the world. But Daryl Bach writes, he's a commentator, and he wrote this. Any preconditions for how God must act how God must perform, how God must work in any situation may disappoint us or work against us when he chooses to build character in us by taking us a different route. That's so good, I want to read it again if I could. Any preconditions for how God must act, how God must perform, how God must work in any situation may disappoint us or work against us when he chooses to build character in us by taking us a different route. How true is that? Anybody in here been taking a different route by God? I see the hands, and even those that you aren't are going, yeah, you're right. I thought it was supposed to be this way, and we went this way, and I look back on it, and God taught me a valuable lesson because he was doing something in the character of my heart and my soul. Is that not right? Yeah, absolutely. And aren't you glad? We're glad that God does that. Maybe God is taking us, y'all, on a different route. Personally, and as a country, and as a world, all this stuff that's happening, 
And again, don't feel bad. Even John the Baptist didn't quite go in, what, Jesus, I don't get it. Jesus' own disciples missed it. How many times did he say, oh, you of little faith, or, or this one was my favorite, are you so dull? <laughs> he would ask his disciples that. Why don't you get it? Because you're thinking of a different kind of kingdom where Israel will be on top again, and, and Lord, we want to be on your right and left hands being at the top. And Jesus goes, ah, oh, it's not about that. A servant will be the greatest. There's this great reversal in God's kingdom. So this morning, are we willing to be a child of God's wisdom? Remember that thing he said at the end? Wisdom will be proved right by all her children. Are you and I willing to really be a child of God? Think about all the people in the Bible who went a different route. Think about it. Moses, the the children of Israel could have made it where they were going to the promised land in probably six weeks. But how many years did it take? 40, right, say it, 40 years. Why did it take? Because God was taking them a different route to build character in them, to build perseverance in them so that the world, they could reflect to the world who God really was when they finally got to that promised land. And maybe God's trying to tell us that, y'all. He's taking us a different route. And God can do that great reversal in his life if we will truly seek him first and his kingdom and his righteousness but not as long as we're seeking our kingdom and our righteousness the way we think it should be. And we need to think about that. So this morning, I want to offer an invitation to maybe somebody's here today that you're like those early people who said, you know, I don't know what's going on in the world, but I know I need to start with me and repent like those people who came to John at the first time. And you can do that today. You can repent and we will baptize you into Christ. John's baptism was of repentance, But the baptism that Jesus brought was a baptism of salvation that brings us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He gives us that salvation. And baptism is an act of obedience where we say, I want to be baptized. I want to bury that old life where it was all about my kingdom. And I want to be raised into a new life where God is in control, not me anymore. And we offer that invitation if somebody needs to do that today. And we're a church that, you know what, we don't understand what's going on in our world and country right now either. We don't have it all figured out. But we want to be locked in like Jesus was to God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And realize that maybe he's taking us on a different route. And we want to allow him to build our character as we go on that different route.